My name's Scott, and I am an addict. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, you know, I knew I wouldn't get nervous till I stood up here and faced everybody. Uh, I, I'm, I speak a lot at meetings. I'm very accustomed to it, but I prefer to do it sitting from the crowd rather than sitting, standing up in front of everybody. Um, you know, I, uh, I haven't had a bong hit all day. And I, and I, and I am not even slightly concerned about when and how and where I'm going to remedy that situation. Uh, that was true yesterday. Um, I'm confident it'll be true again tomorrow. And if that, if that alone was all I had managed to achieve in recovery, I would, uh, consider that alone to be a miracle because I, I did not think that that was possible and um, uh, much to my surprise uh, recoveries ran so much deeper for me um, you know um, marijuana was definitely my drug of choice it's, it's what I did every day um, all day as much as possible uh, I consider alcohol to be my drug of jeopardy and um my obsession tends to be what other people think. You know, having having said that, I could this could easily morph into into an AA talk or an Al-Anon talk, but uh, uh, we're safe because my wife's here, so it's not going to go in in that route. And um, I'm going to talk about my experience with the steps. Uh, um, I was. Uh, I was adopted at 10 days old, and I always knew I was adopted. And um, you know, my uh, my adoptive mother and father got a divorce when I was about two, and I stayed with my father. And you know, my earliest memories I knew that was that that was that was strange in the 70s to be being raised by a single father. And I I really really wanted to have a mom like other kids. My dad got married again when I was five, and um, I remember being overjoyed. Um, I was finally going to get to have a mom, and it, it didn't it didn't work out like I expected it to. Um, you know, she kind of resented my existence, and I um, uh, there was a time I left the left the went down the block to play with some other kids, and uh, uh, she essentially kind of dragged me back home by the hair in, in front of um, my father and, and new grandparents and uncle and she broke a fingernail doing it and they all gathered around her to uh, to uh, show sympathy for her damage you know and I, I, I knew at that moment that um, that I was on my own or I, I believed I was on my own and it um, you know we uh, my relationship with her was constant conflict, and uh, you know, I uh, my goal was to not show that she could hurt me, um, and and her goal was to show that she could, the way I saw it in my mind, and um, I got I got real good at. Um, And not showing when things hurt, you know. And I, uh, um, 
the better I got at, at, at not being not breaking down, uh, the, the more the more focused she became. And uh, you know, I, I had this dog when I was about 12, and I, that dog was my best friend. And uh, we showed dogs too, so we had several dogs in the house. And um, she one day told me that uh, you know the dog wasn't allowed in the house anymore, and they were going to make a kennel for him and a dog run. And I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that, that uh, you know, she couldn't, essentially she was going to get rid of my dog, and I knew it. I, I, I just knew it. And I, uh, you know, I, I started preparing in advance, and I detached myself. And, uh, um, <coughs> you know, I'd walk by his kennel, and he would whine. I used to spend every day with him, and he would whine because he wanted to play, and I just couldn't do it. Um, you know, I, I, I knew it would hurt too much that I needed to to set up my defenses in advance. And and eventually, um, and this really hurt, she, she used that as a rationalization to get rid of the dog because I just didn't pay attention to him anymore. And, um, you know, after that happened, I, I went off somewhere by myself, decided I was going to cry, you know, mourn the loss of my dog, and it just wouldn't come. Uh, I... I, I and I, I knew something, I, I felt something deep inside of me was seriously wrong because I should be able to cry and I, and I couldn't. And I, I, uh, I never, never have hated anybody as much as I hated her. Um, and I, I started to have these feelings of explosive rage. Uh, I would wake up in the morning and... and to me, it seemed unexplained, but as soon as I opened my eyes on a lot of mornings, I would just, <coughs> excuse me, feel this scream building. And it was like um, I could almost, my head almost felt elastic. There was strong physical sensations with it, and I, I just felt like if I could, if I could scream with enough force that somebody's head would pop, that maybe I would get some relief. And um, you know, it was. Um, at that point in my life, at about 14 years old, that I discovered marijuana. You know, I, uh, I was having problems at school. I was kind of a loner. Um, I, I got decent grades and was in some advanced placement classes and was a bookworm, and it just made me a target. And, uh, you know, there was this one guy that um, lived close to me, and I went over to his house one day, and, and he, they were smoking pot. And I, I tried marijuana for the first time, and it was, uh, I fell in love with it the, the first time I got high. I, I, I knew the first time I got high, that's how, that's how I wanted to spend my life. And, you know, one of this uh, guy's friends was a, the primary bully at school. <coughs> he showed up over there. And the first words out of his mouth were, what the hell is this guy doing here? And I, and I thought I was, a, I was about to get a beating. And he noticed the, the bong in my hand and looked right at me and said, oh, uh, I didn't know you were cool. Um, <laughs> sat down next to me and smoked pot with me and assured me that no one would hassle me at school again. And he was right. You know, it was... Um, you know, I, I, I told the, the people at the first MA group I went to that I was impressed with how uh, 
stoners, whether they're smoking or not smoking, are just are the most tolerant, accepting people in the world. And uh, it, it, you know, at first it was great; those feelings of rage went away. Um, I had a circle of friends that 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 didn't care that I liked to read thick books. Um, didn't care what kind of grades I got in school. The only thing we needed to have in common was that we liked to smoke pot. <coughs> and, uh, you know, it didn't take me long to, uh, I, I was an instant addict. You know, my home life, I had, uh, uh, I focused on hatred as a source of strength. That's that's how I kept from being broken down and made to cry was I would focus on, on how much I hated my stepmother and it made me feel strong. And and my uh, main coping mechanism was not feeling. And, uh, you know, I, I, the first time I got high, I was, I was totally hopelessly addicted. It fit perfectly with my coping strategies. <clears throat> By the time I was 15 years old, one year after, within less than a year of my first hit, I was smoking pot every day, smoking pot before school. I, I still don't know how I managed to stay supplied, but, but somehow I scraped the money together, bummed off of friends, and um, before I even had a license to drive on a, on a weekly basis, I was drinking alcohol, taking LSD, using cocaine and smoking pot every day. Um, I tried a lot of different things. The list of the list of things I didn't try to get high on would be much shorter than, than what I had. And, and most of the things that I hadn't tried were just because I never got access to them. You know, there were some things I wanted to and just never ran into. Uh, and I... I most of my adolescence was trying to prove my stepmother wrong. Uh, you know, she said I was criminal, and I so I got involved with uh, with uh, Civil Air Patrol and Junior ROTC. Um, uh, I was being raised to be an atheist, and so I, I rebelled by uh, reading the Bible. And I um, uh, I didn't use the Bible for spiritual growth. I used it as ammunition to uh, irritate and argue with people who did believe. Uh, um, uh, and I, and I, she said I was too stupid to be in some of the classes that I was in, and so I knuckled down at school and I became a, a, a straight A student. Um, and I, and I thought that that meant that I didn't really have a problem, that somehow I was an exception to the rules, that I, I really looked down on most of my friends. They were, you know, they they were stoners, you know, uh, but but honestly, I thought I was so brilliant that I could cloud my mind with marijuana and still be smarter than most people. Honestly, that's 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 what I really thought, and I um I uh. I got an academic scholarship to University of Portland here, and well, part academic, part loans. Long story short, I didn't have to pay a dime, and I was accepted into a private university. And uh, I decided that okay, now well, um, it's time to grow up a little bit. I, I'm finally free of my stepmother. I don't need all this other stuff anymore, and I, I quit everything except for alcohol, um, which 
which I've I've found when I don't smoke pot, I I, I drink a lot, and um, my head just wouldn't work anymore. I, I went from my physics teacher in high school based an A on 20% less than what I would score on the test because I kept blowing the curve and I could not pass my entry-level physics course at University of Portland. And I, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've since learned that it's not uncommon for someone's head to quit working when they're a chronic pot smoker and they just quit smoking pot cold turkey. But um, I, I kind of thought I was losing my mind. I, I, so I, I dropped out of school just wasted that scholarship and uh, enlisted in the Air Force. And uh, I thrived initially in the military. Basic training and tech school were great for me with all the structure. Um, you know, at, from age 15 to age 38, the, the, the six weeks I was in basic training and the two weeks they wouldn't allow us to drink in tech school was my longest period of sobriety. As soon as, as soon as they would I, I I started drinking and you know uh, alcohol scares me. Well, once I got back home, I went right back to smoking pot. Uh, you know, if uh, if you were to lay out any anything and everything that could possibly get you high uh, in unlimited quantities, and there was only a gram of marijuana, and I could only choose one, I would choose the pot. I was just there's something about it that was that was perfect for me. Um, uh, when I came back home from from the, I enlisted as a reservist, so I was actually at 20 years old. I was I was back home after about a year on active duty for training, and uh, um, the one childhood dream I I had that 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 I've actually still have is um you know I I I, I I married the, the woman that I uh, had loved since I was 15 years old, and um, I'm thankfully still with her today, 20 years later. Um, I don't know that's evidence of which which one of us is sick, but we've been <laughs> we we've been good friends the whole time. Um, you know, when I first got into recovery, she was the only friend I had, and she wasn't too happy with me. At that point, uh, I remember when you know when we finally got together. I, I thought, you know, I should be okay. I should be okay. I've managed to develop a relationship with a woman, which I had always learned that when you were didn't have a relationship with your mother, you were hopeless, you know. And so, but I, but I kept smoking pot, and uh, she didn't like the fact that I smoked pot, so I hid it a little bit. I promised to cut back. Um, I developed the strategy of having the bag she knew about and the bag she didn't. Um, you know, uh, taking the little tiny bong hits in the morning, like seven little tiny ones so I wouldn't cough. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and I developed this pattern of getting... Uh, Getting a decent job, working my way up to a decent wage, screwing up cheating the drug test, and getting fired. Getting another entry-level job, working my way up to a decent wage, screwing up cheating the drug test, 
and getting fired. And uh, one of the more recent ones, I uh, I was self-employed for seven years, made good money for part of it, and uh, um, just just tossed it away, getting high all the time, going to the river, going to work on acid because it was a trip. Um, uh, and 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 I ended up having to take a job as a as an eight dollar an hour security guard guarding pallets in a in a parking lot. Um, I always seemed to escape consequences somehow. I just kind of lucked into a, a alarm response position that uh, was only open to prior military or, or prior law enforcement and. I had told them that I was in an air rescue unit in the Air Force, which I was, but they assumed that that meant I was air rescue and I was a mechanic. Um, I ended up being the senior supervisor of that section, was making fairly decent money. Um, you know, I was a, I was an armed guard responding to bank alarms with, uh, sometimes with Portland police and 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 uh, you know with uh, former Marines and airborne guys. And what they didn't know is when an alarm took me close to my house, I swung in for a bong hit. Um, And, you know, they would not have appreciated that. Uh, I got into a got into a a car accident and and knew that once again, I was not going to be able to pass that drug test. Um, They they watched you provide the sample when they tested you there. I was not going to be able to cheat it. Uh, So I quit. And uh, took up a job flagging. It was an entry-level flagger. Uh, about 37 years old with three kids now and, and still doing that same routine that I was doing when I was 18, 19 years old. Um, and got lucky again. A guy, a guy uh, decided he liked me. I was flagging for some linemen, communication linemen. Said, I can teach you what you need to know to become a lineman. Why don't you come work for us? And uh, I did that and uh, ended up in a, in a union lineman job. Uh, within a year, they were ready to put me on my own truck and have me train in ground hands. And uh, I failed drug test for them. And that, that was all I could take. The weight of shame at that point was absolutely crushing. Uh, I had to. I finally admitted to myself that that my need and desire to feel sedated was more important than, than the security of my family. It was more important than putting food in the mouth of my children. Um, you know, life imposed step one on me in, in just an absolutely crushing way. And I, I said probably the first honest prayer of my life when that happened. I, 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 I begged God to let me keep my job. And I, and I swore that I would never smoke marijuana again. Here's the part that was different. Uh, I swore that I would never smoke pot again, even if I didn't get to keep my job. Now, um, I don't think I would have been able to follow through on that, but I, I was sincere when I said that prayer. And and what I what I wanted was some miracle where that drug test got lost or they didn't actually test it or just somehow 
that it came up negative, that I would get away with it. That's what I wanted. And uh, what happened was um, <coughs> it was positive, and they fired me, and they told me when they fired me that if I went and saw a, a therapist for evaluation and completed a rehabilitation program that the company approved of, I could have my job back. Um, that, and I, and I, I saw that as a sign from God that this is it. This, this, this is it. This is the deal that's being made. Uh, I'm going to be honest with people for the first time in my life, and uh, I'm going to get to keep my job. And I, I went and saw this therapist, and um, I was honest for the first time in my life. Uh, went through a few hours of filling out questionnaires, and uh, she looked over the questionnaires, which I thought looked pretty good. I thought, you know, it showed pretty bad as a child, real good now. And... Uh, she looked at the, the answers that I had given, and uh, she said, she said, wow. And at first I thought, okay, she's about to praise at how great I've done. <laughs> and she said, there's a lot here, Scott. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you ever fantasize about killing your stepmother? And... Um, I thought, how the hell does she know how to ask me that? How how did she know to ask me that question? Um, that was a, that was a secret. Not only had I fantasized about it, I I, I had selected the baseball bat I was going to do it with. Um, you know, I figured I figured when and if I killed her, that it, it, it would be better for me if it looked like a momentary fit of rage rather than something premeditated, that I would uh, kill her with a baseball bat and then immediately turn myself in, and it would look like I had just snapped. Um, um, and when I think about that when I was a kid, I used to get this warm, cozy, secure feeling. Um, and, and I... And I I, I thought that meant that maybe I was evil. You know, maybe maybe I didn't have a conscience like other people did. I, I knew it wasn't appropriate to get a warm, fuzzy picturing beating somebody with a baseball bat. And um turns out that's a textbook response. Um, you know, that that was that was a secret I was gonna take to my grave and I and I, I shared it with that therapist who assured me that that was pretty normal. <laughs> and then I shared it at a men's meeting with about six or seven guys in it. And um, another guy chimed in and said, uh, yeah, I had that same experience because my weapon was a knife. And I and I've, I've, I've found out that um, there are other people like me. Um, and now I'm sharing it in front of a whole room full of people. At one time, that was the biggest secret in the world, and I don't share that very often. Um, sometimes I get the wide-eyed look of astonishment at, at, at how twisted I was, and uh, sometimes I, I, I see that twinkle in somebody's eye, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, I, I think it's important for... Uh, 
for people to share their dark stuff from time to time when the mood strikes them so that others know that um, you can recover from anything. And, uh, you know, that, that therapist at the time seemed so insightful. I just thought she was absolutely brilliant. I had no idea that um, anybody could read a book on the topic and, and know what questions to ask. And uh, uh, she informed me that uh, that I was in, in need of serious intervention and after I had this addiction thing under control that I should seek out a counselor who specialized in PTSD and uh, um God, that was bad news. Um, she essentially told me she suspected I had a mental disorder, is the way I heard it in my mind. And uh, she wanted to put me in an inpatient treatment program, and I convinced her that I needed to feed my family, had to work. She said, well, we'd give outpatient a try. She didn't seem too enthusiastic about the outpatient thing. Um, and... Uh, so I went to an outpatient treatment program three days a week, three hours a session. Uh, the counselor at my intake there informed me that I couldn't, couldn't. I told her that I'd quit smoking pot, but admitted that I was drinking. And she told me that I couldn't, could not drink and successfully complete a drug treatment program. And I was, uh, I was stunned. She told me when I graduated from it that she thought I was going to get up and walk out when she told me that. Um, that, that was my strategy. Um, yeah, I knew I needed something. I couldn't take everything away. It seemed, it seemed unwise to uh, be sober and start poking around at thoughts and feelings. Um, uh, I believed that... Um, I didn't think I was currently insane, but I thought I was going to head that way with, 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 with what they wanted me to do, that uh, I was going to go from secretly having a mental problem to having obvious symptoms that, that anybody could pick up on. Uh, and that rehab program required two meetings a week outside. Uh, preferably 12-step recovery. Uh, I, knew, I knew two things about 12-step recovery. They said the serenity prayer, which I wanted no part of, and um, they held hands, which I wanted no part of. Uh, the hugging's even worse than the holding hands. Uh, but she told me they did have marijuana anonymous, that she had heard of it. And uh, gave me a schedule. I thought, well, I, can, I, I could probably go to that one. Uh, uh, I, I went to one meeting a week of Marijuana Anonymous and one meeting a week of Smart Recovery at first because they didn't talk about God at Smart Recovery. Uh, that first meeting, first 12-step meeting I ever attended was Fireside Fridays here in Portland. Uh, I went there and, and heard a couple people talk. And I just felt like I was going to burst. Um, so I jumped in and I shared. And I was looking down at the ground. And I talked about uh, 
being stoned with a gun, roaming the streets of Portland for a living. And I talked about my feelings of rage. Um, talked about uh, being scared that I was going to be diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, I was never in combat. Uh, and I was looking at the ground the whole time. And I, and after I was done, I looked up and I expected to see shocked looks on people's faces. That you know, I, I expected to sense discomfort that they were in the same room with somebody as shameful as, as I was. And I didn't see that. There was a, a guy across the room from me, a uh, beaming smile on his face, looking right at me, and he said, Welcome home. Uh, and I could, I could see that he meant it, that he actually believed that when he said it. Um, after that meeting was over, I, I, I practically got mobbed by the men in that meeting. It was, it was May. My sobriety date, by the way, is May 16th, 2007. Uh, and this was the last week of May. Thank you. Uh, they all wanted me to go on camping trips and hiking, and I, I could not wait to get out of that room. Uh, there was absolutely no way that I was going to let them get me off in the middle of nowhere and, and, and ambush me with some kind of baptism into a recovery cult. Um, within five minutes of leaving that meeting, driving home, I couldn't wait to get back to another meeting. Uh, I, I remember saying out loud to myself, what the heck was that? You know, I... I felt that recognition in the room. I know now what it was. I felt a sense of community. It was such a foreign feeling to me. I had no idea what it was. Um, I've been trying most of my life to be part of something bigger than, than I am. Uh, from the time I was a kid, I was absolutely terrified of being an, an, an individual all on my own. I know now you know, the, the, the military thing, the, the security thing the camaraderie as a lineman, um, getting married at an early age, becoming a father, was all trying to belong to something greater than myself, to uh, have this fear of being alone. Uh, it's my third 12-step third meeting I'd ever went to. Uh, it was a speaker meeting for Marijuana Anonymous. And I... I unknowingly made the wise move of telling Jan that I respected her opinion and was willing to uh, follow any suggestions she had for my recovery. And she suggested that I ask the person who was speaking that night to be my sponsor. And um, I was stuck. <laughs> I, I, I had to do it. You know, she just... That was... The hardest thing I ever did in my life was asking another man to help me. Um, to me, that asking for help at that time was, was obvious evidence of utter and total failure. Um, and, and he said some crazy stuff. Uh, one of the first things he told me is, Scott, the good news is 
never again have to go through something difficult alone. And that did not sound like good news. That, that sounded like more evidence of failure to me. Um, I can't remember now what that other thing he said. That was totally insane. But um, You know, when I asked him to sponsor me, I heard about the 90 meetings and 90 days thing, and I, I, I told him I was absolutely not going to do that, <laughs> not to push me. It would be a great way to ask somebody, will you be my sponsor? Don't, don't, don't even try to get me to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. <laughs> and uh, what he told me, I misunderstood so many things he told me. He told me, well, Scott, some people are tougher than others. And, and I thought that meant some people need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days because recovery is going to be tougher for them, but, but not for me. Um, I know now what he meant is some people are less willing. Some people can endure more pain. Um, <clears throat> by some miracle, shortly after, I, de- I decided I was going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And um, I was going to uh, outpatient during the week, so I had to stack up heavy on the weekend. And I went to seven to eight meetings on Saturday and Sunday. Um, you know, I have an obsessive mind as an addict. Initially, I obsessed over my past. Then I obsessed over going to meetings. Um, when I finished the 90 and 90, I told them that I, that I had done it. And um, he tells me, well, Scott, actually the idea is one meeting a day for 90 days, not... Um, <laughs> Not ten meetings a weekend for nine weekends. Uh, uh, but I, I had been working the steps with him, and you know my first two big problems, step two, seemed to imply that I was currently insane. Uh, I did not, I did not like that. I had a real fear of legitimately being certifiably mentally ill. Um, Treatment referred to addiction as a brain disease. I know what that means. That means mental illness. Um, but I had read a definition in the in the AA 12 by 12 that insanity was unsoundness of mind, and uh, insanity was an inability to recognize the truth, and and that I could stomach. I, I had to admit, you know, here I was in 12 step recovery. Obviously, I had misunderstood something somewhere, or I, I wouldn't be here. Um, so, okay, I got an inability to recognize the truth. Okay, I'll, I'll go that far with it. Um, third step, people talk about the third step. I'd hear let go and let God. Did not appreciate that. Um, <laughs> did, did not. Um, I had some sort of belief in God because I, I knew I was... I was I felt cheated by God. You know, I was angry at God. Didn't trust God. Um, didn't didn't believe. Didn't have any faith that there was some higher power that would take a personal interest in me. Um, you know, I could I could go with the concept of a creative intelligence, but not not a not a loving God. Um, I heard somebody at a meeting yell out, "Let go or be dragged." Um, <laughs> That one I could accept. I, and I still like that one today. 
It's a reference point for me when I start feeling like I'm being dragged around by my life. Um, I know I've taken charge again. There, there's something I've, I've, I'm scared to lose. There's an outcome, a, a worst-case scenario that I'm trying to defend against. Um, and, you know, if there is a God, God doesn't need my permission to, to pick something up. I don't, I don't have to let God anything. I just have to let go. Uh, um, so I... Uh, First time I said the third step prayer, I felt like a hypocrite. said it in front of my sponsor. I knew it wasn't true. I had it stuck in my head that I was, that I was actually turning my will and life over to the care of God and uh, overlooked the, the, that I was just making a decision and that um, just deciding that I was going to try. You know, I heard somebody say that I could keep a higher power on probationary status. That I could turn over just one day. And if that day was okay, maybe I could turn over one more. That I didn't actually have to put on my monk robes and, and walk away a spiritual person from saying a third step prayer. And uh, <clears throat> I started my prayers with God, I don't believe in you. Um, and then I went through the motions. And uh, my obsession shifted from going to meetings to prayer and meditation. And every day I would start out with, God, I don't believe in you, but thank you for my sobriety. Please help me to to let it continue. Um, And I read this story in the back of the, the, the blue book called Freedom from Bondage. And this woman talked about how recovery had worked great for her, but she had this one resentment that it wouldn't work on, and it was uh, it was for her mother, and that um, perked up my mind. And uh, you know, it talks about uh, praying for somebody, like a priest had told her to pray for that person for two weeks, and. Um, the resentment will go away. Um, so I started praying, uh, God, I don't believe in you, but p- p- please help me to become willing to to pray for my stepmother. And then pretty soon it was, um, I dropped the I don't believe in you, and I just started saying, uh, please let her receive all the gifts I feel like I'm about to receive. And eventually, it took a little longer than two weeks, and, but I was um, I was spending a good solid half hour to an hour a day in prayer and meditation over it became the focus of my recovery and eventually I just thought you know what does it matter um, if I forgive her she'll probably still be miserable you know um, what does it matter and, and one morning you know I've been uh my wife had been taking me to work early because we only had one car working. I was on the loading dock at work and uh, actually knelt down to pray, which um, was out of character for me. I, I, don't, I don't like to kneel to pray. I certainly don't want to get caught praying. I was in a good hiding spot kneeling down praying. And um, instead of praying to be willing to forgive, I, I just 
said out loud, I, I humbly offer my forgiveness, and I, and I felt. I felt the weight of a lifetime of deep resentment lifted in a moment. Um, I felt like I had knelt down a slave and I stood up a free man. It was, it was that dramatic for me. And I knew, I knew that recovery would work for me. I, I knew I was going to be okay. And that really was... A, the watershed moment in my recovery. It was like uh, a whole philosophy and outlook on life had just been shattered at its core. The, the, the foundation of everything I, I believed was gone. And um, uh, it dawned on me that recovery was about freedom. I, I didn't even know that I had been a slave for so long. Uh, when that happened for me I was in I had already done my fifth step and uh, was in six, seven, and eight and, and my, my fourth step inventory initially was filled with people who deserved what they got and it, and it started it started to change after that to a, to a growing list of people who deserved better than what they had got and um you know, I think forgiveness is, is, is like resentment in the sense that um, I'm the one who suffers. When I, when I become resentful, it damages me. When I, when I become willing to forgive whether or not uh, I, I judge a person worthy of it, I'm the one that feels the healing effects from the forgive, forgiveness. Um, I know there are people that have had it worse than me. And, and I certainly know what sweet, justifiable resentment feels like. But uh, for me, for me, I believe I need to forgive everybody for everything. Um, uh, I left out one part of the story. My story, I, uh, I. Uh, about ten years ago, Oregon Initiative allowed adoptees to uh, to view their original birth certificates, and, and I went that route. And I had found my birth mother, and um, it was an easy job to do. There were 14 people in the state with her last name, and 12 of them lived in Rainier on a road with the same name. Uh, and it went well. She moved from Seattle to Portland area so that... Uh, um, she could be close to her grandkids, and uh, um, you know, I decided at an early age that I that I already had a mother, that it was the one that gave birth to me, and that's just the way it was. Uh, and I remember thinking when I when I found her, okay, I got a wife, I got kids, been reunited with my birth mother, I, I shouldn't need to smoke pot anymore. Um, but I still did, and I, and I I backtracked to that because. Um, not this last Mother's Day, but the Mother's Day before, I was you know about a year into recovery, and I had my mom at my house for Mother's Day dinner, and uh, you know I've I've always had this Rick was harassing me about it this personal space thing. Uh, when I'd get fingerprinted for security clearances, they'd have to dry off each finger, 
because I'd be sweating so bad from just from a person grabbing my wrist that the, the ink would smear. And I, I really don't like, didn't like um, hugs. Um, that, that first meeting I went to, I hugged a stranger and got a coin, and that was unwelcome. Um, my first service position with Marijuana Anonymous was chip chair. Um, <laughs> And I remember when I told him I was willing to do it, I told him my only concern was that, uh, you know, the people, the people I hug are not going to feel the warmth. Um, but they let me do it. And one of the first spontaneously joyful hugs I ever experienced was, uh, was giving someone a chip when I was actually surprised and, and joyful that they were taking a, I think it was a 60-day chip. Um, okay. Um, Anyway, this Mother's Day, after it was over with, I went out to walk my mom to her car, and I uh, gave her a hug, told her I loved her, and um, uh, went back inside, and it was Sunday, of course. My home group in Forest Grove meets on Sunday night, so on my way to that meeting, it occurred to me that uh, in that moment that I was hugging my mom, nothing existed except for the hug. I didn't think... uh, I didn't think, am I squeezing too hard? Is she not squeezing hard enough? Is this lasting too long? Um, oh, my God, my hand's starting to sweat. Um, can she tell that, I, that there was nothing? It was just a simple, perfect hug. Uh, I was another, uh, another, essentially an intense spiritual experience for me. Uh, and I and I went to that meeting and I and I shared about my Mother's Day experience with my mom and it dawned on me um, May was always a really tough month for me. I was born in May, uh, real close to Mother's Day. Mother's Day's in May. Schools make you make stuff for your mother. I had to make stuff for the stepmother I wanted to kill. Occasionally. Uh, my birthday would fall on Mother's Day, and that was like God poking me with a stick. Uh, you know, for a lot of my childhood, I simply did not want to live through the month of May. And at this meeting, when I was talking about that uh, Mother's Day experience, it occurred to me, uh, okay, my, my birthday's in May. That doesn't really signify recovery, but Mother's Day's in May. Now Mother's Day, you know, I've got a woman who's the mother of my children. I've got my birth mother, Mother's Day, something that represents recovery to me. Um, uh, I got married in the month of May. My firstborn child was born in the month of May. My sobriety date is in the month of May. Uh, here this month I didn't want to live through when I was a kid is all of a sudden to me, all of a sudden, suddenly realizing that it's absolutely packed with events that signify recovery in my life. And uh, it was like God was making amends to me. I, I could have never planned my life in a way to change the most hated month of the year into the most loved month of the year. Uh, you know, and the old me would have said, well, that's just just coincidence, just circumstance. Um, I choose not to, to believe that way today. Um, I believe in a higher power because believing in a higher power works. You know, I, I, 
I don't believe in the white-bearded super spy in the sky waiting to smite me when I, when I don't follow the rules. I don't know who, what, or why God is. I don't use the word God because it's easy. I know that, uh, I know that when I pray as described in recovery, it works. I know that when, um, when I don't prepare for the worst case scenario, when I just face what's in front of me, um, that works. Uh, lately, I've had to... Uh, that job I desperately wanted to keep lost a major contract and laid me off. Um, so I had to take a, 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 a truck driving job uh, over the road. I don't say had to because it's a bad job. I say had to because it, it separated me from my family. Um, I'd made a fears list with my fourth step, and, and the, the very top of the list is living separate from my children. That was my greatest fear of all. That's the one thing I wanted to make sure and latch on to it at all costs. And, um,. Here I am essentially living separate from my children, and it's disappointing, but I'm not scared. Uh, uh, it's kind of separated me from meetings. Um, I just reached a point where I had several sponsees and, and was feeling really connected and active. And then, you know, I go from six meetings a week or so and, and phone calls every day to thousands of miles away uh, it's kind of a system shock at first but it's been really good because I, I got an opportunity to actually apply the principles to my life and um, I learned I learned something significant when I went away to this uh, uh, you know I already had a CDL but I had to go through their school and I was um, in a former juvenile detention facility that is now a, a dorm for truck driving school with a bunch of strangers, and I'm not much of a people person. Uh, there was one per individual there in particular that would just kept blurting stuff out in, in class. Just annoying. Nobody could stand him. Um, character assassination was running rampant. I was suffering from silent scorn to an extreme degree. Um, I felt like it took a lot of self-control to not actually tell them in the middle of the class to, ju to just shut up. And um, I thought, now, what, what would be the recovery response to that? And uh, I made it a point to introduce myself to him, shake his hand, get to know him a little bit. And uh, uh, we were supposed to be in study groups. I invited him to join our study group, the study group I was in, which... It didn't win me any friends. Uh, you know, they, they felt that he didn't pull his weight in the study group, that he was a distraction. And it, it turns out, it turns out the kid has ADD and a learning disability and really struggles with the classroom portion. His whole family's truck drivers. They're telling him he has to pay his dues. He's got to do what they did. He's got to go to this class and, 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 and you know, 
do it this way and then he can come you know they'll help him get his own truck and he's just trying to live all he's ever wanted to be is a truck driver it's his dream and he's terrified that he's not going to be able to to pass the classroom curriculum part because as soon as they put a written test in front of him he, he has you know real problems drove a truck great everyone was shocked on the backup course he was the best driver out there and um it didn't irritate me when he blurted out in class anymore um he ended up passing and and i don't think it had anything to do with my help but uh i was prepared to uh hate somebody just trying to live their dream and do the best they can and uh i got to feel inspired seeing a, a kid face his fears and work hard and uh be successful um i don't know how many times throughout my life i've missed an opportunity to have an experience like that but i was i was never a good friend um it's kind of a way of me i have a lot of indirect events and and that that for me was one of them and it just really struck me how how much more tolerable people are if i seek to understand rather than to be understood and i i you know the first speaker meeting i went to guy said facts aren't feelings they're just feelings um i don't think uh, i i would like to expand on that and say thoughts aren't facts either they're just thoughts i'm not what i think i'm the person who listens and you know i thought this person was worthy of scorn but that's not how i reacted um i offered him friendship and instead of scorn so um you know i i and i felt free um I actually enjoy most of my thinking these days even the the twisted thinking is good entertainment um I find most of it humorous um it's amazing that I will decide somebody's worthy of silent scorn because I don't like their shoes or something really important like that and um it it it, it amuses me today uh Now I've talked for for got about 5 minutes left so I guess I've talked for about 40 45 minutes about what it was like what happened and what it's like for me now and um it could be summed up much shorter essentially what it was like as I was a slave to my thoughts and emotions and didn't even realize it um what happened is I I I worked the steps with another person who was taking the steps including 4 through 9 and um um and then 10 11 and 12 enabled to make me to maintain the freedom that that I got from working the first nine uh and the big book sums up the blue book sums up recovery in essentially one paragraph and when I start thinking maybe i overreacted which i think from time to time 
things are pretty good now. You know, I actually called that stepmom at one point and uh, told her I regretted being as defiant as I was as a child. She had done some good things for me, which honestly I was exaggerating a little bit. But I, but I had had I had clean clothes and good food, and uh, she started crying, and and said, "Well, we both had our problems," which for her was tantamount to a huge apology. Um, I didn't even expect that much, and I felt, and I felt free. I felt, and I. And I at one point, I would have enjoyed watching her suffer, and, and now I, I hope she doesn't. I, I hope she doesn't feel any regrets. Um, I don't even think I hold a grudge anymore. Um, I'm content in knowing I would have become a resentful malcontent under the best of circumstances. Uh, and that's more freedom. Uh, the great fact for me is just this, nothing less, that I've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized my whole attitude and outlook on life. That, that, that is it. And, and four through nine was the bridge that made that happen for me. It happened in spite of me. You know. And I started it all with, with asking somebody to work the steps with me and starting prayers with God, I don't believe in you. And it still happened anyways. So, um, I'll a debt to Marijuana Anonymous that I can never repay. Uh, in a way, I kind of cheat Marijuana Anonymous a little bit because my recovery's centered around AA. But um, I'll always be a stoner. You know, the MA, I can talk about whatever I want to. And and still feel okay. Uh, AA when they find out I'm I'm truly a pothead at heart. Some of them suggest maybe I belong somewhere else from time to time. So um, that's it. That's my story so far. Um, get a little more freedom as time goes by. Uh, my obsessions are briefer. Uh, my character defects still rage, but I tend not to do damage with them. Uh, thanks for having me here to share tonight. Thanks.